What a couple weeks. We were off last week. I'm Rusty, joined by Ifo, uh, and a lot happened. A lot happened between the Nebraska and Wyoming game. We were too busy with duck hunting season at Wyoming. <laughs> boy, boy, those guys are original. Never heard that before. Yeah, although I do like how the coaches have kind of turned that into a recruiting thing. Like on, I mean, a, on a lot of a lot of their tweets, it was like hashtag duck hunting, and I was like, I guess that's a cool way to try and repurpose it. Flip it, I'm cool with it. In hindsight, honestly, I I was at the Wyoming game. In hindsight, I really should have bought one of their eight bit T-shirts that they were selling, because that would be a cherished possession. But I'll take a win instead. That's fine. Yeah, I remember some people on. Uh... Some people on some other blogs that I've done some like guest appearances for and everything, and they were like, "Wow, these shirts are awesome! What do you think?" And it's like, "I've never seen this joke made before." It's like, is it, is it like the USC Trojan condom joke? And I was like, "It's pretty much exactly like that. It's pretty much exactly like that." Uh, yeah. So, would you would you think of the game and all of its CBS Sports Network glory? So I was actually traveling pretty much all of last week through the remnants of Hurricane Irma. So I didn't actually like go through the eye. It was after it already like really chilled out back to a category one. So it was just like it was just like raining really hard uh, where I was. It's like a good Oregon what? rain, but that basically shut down the entire state. And you really had it hard, huh? What? You really had it hard. Yeah, it was me and just myself on the highway. Um, so I find out, though, that CBS Sports Network that I pay for, I can't stream on my phone. I can't stream on the website. And then I try and stream it from my TV and my Comcast app, and it's like, have to watch in homes. What am I paying this for? What? Why am I paying for this? How, why am I paying for a, a channel that I cannot watch when I'm away from my home? Your 2017 white person rage is just, <laughs> it makes me so happy. It just it makes me so mad. So uh, I was watching it actually on a person's iPad and it's a stream of the person's actual TV. So it's like a box that's streaming the image going to his TV, to his app, his iPad, and we're going off the airport Wi-Fi. So you can imagine just how terrible, how just awful this was. Basically a virtually completely was, legal, not sketch at all, streamception. No, well it was all it was all this guy's own private use and everything. It was like this guy owns all of it. So it was just it was just it was, it was basically watching because they would like set up in formation and they hike it and then the stream would freeze and then it would come back and it would be they'd be setting up for the next play and it'd be like, Oh, that play was happening. It was basically watching ESPN Gamecast, but like with photos. <laughs> Because it was so, like just stills. It was just stills of them doing things. So other than your personal streaming experience, I know you got to watch the game uh, again Later. afterwards. What, what, what did you think of the game itself other than your hardship? 
Well, thing. now I'm angry about the CBS Sports thing. <laughs> I'm kidding. Um, I'm just glad we're not in the Mountain West. Thank God. I remember there was there was like a common theme between both games. First half Oregon is fantastic. It could compete with Washington. It would be, I think. Well, it would be a I mean, Rutgers could compete with Washington, so for a half, yeah. So second half Oregon, I don't know what's going on. Um, and it's always it's it's always kind of a thing where it's like it leaves a sour taste in your mouth because it's the last thing you saw of, of the game. I mean, this time we at least got a touchdown in the second half. Um, but I think most of that is just a mental thing. And I thought they, the guys might have been able to kick that after the Nebraska game. And like, wow, we almost blew that. But um, still work to be done. But I think they're going to have another opportunity this weekend to basically finally put a team in the dirt in the second half. So I have a little bit of a different perspective on that. You know, I don't necessarily think it is mental in terms of trying to finish. Um, honestly, I, I th- this is weird being our recent history uh, of being a offense dominated team. Um, but I, I think the struggles in the second half, both against Wyoming and Nebraska, um, in my opinion, most of the blame on that lays more on the offensive play calling than any sort of mentality or defensive, you know, uh, struggles. Um, Definitely in the Nebraska game, less so in the Wyoming game, but it was still there. Uh, In the second half, when we have tried to run clock, just go pure power run football, um, that's resulted in a lot of three and outs. Now, you know, turnovers have certainly played a part of that as well, uh, more so in the Nebraska game than the Wyoming game in the second half. But right now our offensive line has done a really good job, uh, especially in pass protection, but then on run plays where we pull the guard and we kind of go more east-west and then make one cut and go vertical. Um, what I've seen that we have struggled on is when we're just doing pure power run football and we're going straight ahead with no guard pulls. Yeah. Um, that's where we've tended to struggle, especially early in, in series. And then you're kind of behind the chains and, and that just results in more three and outs. Um, so that's, that's kind of my opinion on the second half struggles, but overall I'm not, terribly worried about that you know long term I I think we've seen what we need to see out of the non-conference schedule we've seen the potential that we have offensively I mean we could be just as explosive as anyone I think right now according to S&P plus our explosiveness on offense is above average it's ranked 61 in the country and our success rate efficiency-wise offensively is ranked ninth in the country. Like, I'll take those numbers all day. Um, our defense is much improved. 
the biggest concern that I have going forward for this season is the turnovers. Um, oh, yeah. And we'll see. You know, it, a lot of that is luck. I mean, fumble recoveries are pretty much virtually all luck. Um, and we've had a, a good amount of those go against our way. Um, but that's my biggest concern. That's kind of a more overarching thing. But overall, I thought the Wyoming game was just like the Nebraska game. It was, it was again, in a steady improvement. Our offense showed that it's explosive. It was really good to see Taj Griffin back, um, among other guys, especially the young guys playing well on defense. I I was satisfied. It was it was a fun game day experience. Yeah, and we saw that Taj Griffin also took reps at running back too. Yeah, so that's. I think, I think these coaches are pretty set on redshirting every freshman running back that came in. Which I'm totally fine with, considering we now have, if you include Taj Griffin as a half running back, I mean, we have basically three and a half or four running backs that could pretty much start or be a significant contributor virtually anywhere else. Yeah. I don't think at USC, Washington would probably be a tie, but everywhere else, for sure. Yeah. Um. Yeah, I agree with you on the play calling, um, and I typically don't like to blame play calling because it's stuff where, like, I was watching, like, I actually remember Willie Taggart was in the ESPNU film room for the national championship game, Alabama Clemson version one, um, and, like, Will Muschamp was there and everything, and just, like, listening to them talk about football as it was happening, and I was like... Uh, I really understood how I know nothing about this game. (laughs) (laughs) Like, how little I actually know. Because these guys are, like, rewinding it and, like, calling plays out. Like, it was Tony Romo doing commentary for, like, two hours. And they were just predicting every single play as it was happening. Like, Thanks for listening to the podcast where we know nothing. Yeah. Um and it was like, like they're watching it. And it's like this safety doesn't have gap coverage. They're gonna, they're gonna attack it right now. And then Alabama audible is and just goes straight at the player. And it was just like, well, Muschamp, you started a nickname called Big Dumb Will Muschamp Football, and then you pulled this like ultimate, just like calling every single play before it even happens. Um. But some of the calling, it just gives me questions. Like, when they have seven guys in the box and we have four receivers out wide, why are we willingly just running into it? Like, it's just, like, we can say, like, we're just going to push the right side and everything, but the math just doesn't work out. Yeah, you know, that's a good question. Um... And, they're, and, they're, and he's not doing read options. Herbert's looking like he's going to do a read option, but there's plenty of times where the guy that he would be reading just crashes in and Herbert just just keeps handing it off. So they're not actually doing it. They're just going straight power. It's it, It'll be interesting to see as the season progresses because there are so many things that could be that could be the cause of that, whether it's you know, just the really lopsided score and trying to run the football out and run the game out. 
it could be an offensive staff that's still trying to gel uh, a little bit and figure out like what the strengths of the team are. Um, it, it could be a ton of different things. Um, that's the main thing that I've seen in in the second halves where we have struggled. Um, maybe I'm I'm sure there there are other factors that you know I'm kind of glancing over, but um, overall, I'm. I struggle to, to worry about it too much because I've seen the potential of our offense. Yeah. And when you have a ceiling as high as what we've shown against Nebraska and Wyoming, who now admittedly, you know, who knows how good Nebraska is because they just lost to Northern Illinois. Um, I mean, they're, they're, they're one possession away from being three in non-conference play. Um, so that you have to take that with a little bit of a grain of salt. But when yeah. you've seen the ceiling on our offense, I, I'm not worried about our offense as long as guys stay healthy. Yeah, and it's, it's – even if we just assume that Nebraska is just bad, like Oregon's offense did what it was supposed to do against a bad team. They dropped 42 points in the first half. Um, and – one of the things I noticed when I was rewatching the the second half of both games um, to try and, and try and figure out what was going on is we there were a lot more negative plays, like on first down um, and second down, where basically we'd run power and they'd get it for like a one or two yard loss, and it happened more often in the second half. And so I started tracking exactly where those players that were blowing plays up in the backfield were coming from, and a lot of times. It was play side, outside blitz from like a linebacker or safety was crashing down, or it was like a Mike linebacker who was blitzing through an A gap, and it was it often came down to the center of the guard not communicating who was going to be picking up who, because they would both be double teaming the the end or, or the or the tackle, and just this guy would just be flying up the A gap, or like we also saw like the tight end who may have been, like Breland, who may have been behind the guard when he was going out wide or the guard or tackle pulling from the opposite side were just completely, like, running past these people not seeing them come o- come over the top a little bit. Like, they were just crashing so fast downfield that they missed someone coming off the edge. And, you know, that it makes sense that those would be the two areas where a situation like that would happen. I mean, if you look at the offensive line, at this point, these are all veterans, with the exception of Jake Pisarczyk, Um, who he he played a, a pretty significant amount last year. But it's the Wyoming game was only his fourth career start. Same thing with Jacob Breland at the tight end spot. Um, you know that was only his third career start. So it, it would make sense if you're a defense and you're trying to scheme and pressure. Uh, a quarterback who through the first three games, or I guess if you were Wyoming, the first two games has shown that he can do everything uh, that, that this offense needs him to do. You would, you would go at that a gap or you would go at the tight end spot, especially considering Breland is more of a pass catcher rather than a, a kind of a blocker. Yeah. Tight end. Um, what, what impressed you most about the Wyoming game? And then we can kind of, move on to looking forward to Arizona State. 
Oh, the defense. The defense and and a lot. It was. The secondary played amazing. Like Hollins and Moy are getting a ton of attention, for basically how well they're setting the edge and getting the quarterback. But a lot of those sacks and pressures on the quarterback were because no one was open for him to throw to. There was a lot of pressure that came from fantastic coverage. Um, like Nick Pickett was named Defensive Player of the Week, even though he didn't wasn't making like the biggest plays like that we would pick up just from watching TV. Um, and then seventeen-year-old Nick Pickett. Yeah. Which is ridiculous. Yeah. And so through three games, I was very skeptical of this before the season. But through three games, Tyree Robinson has been killing it. He's as, been... as anybody who listens to this podcast knows, I was not high on Tyree Robinson at the beginning of the season. And he has proved me wrong. He looks like a different player. It could be scheme and coaching and everything, but he just looked com- completely different. Like, he's out there hitting. He's running, like, sideline to sideline. Like, he had the interception uh, that Graham tipped. Um, so, he looks fantastic. And I think the main thing about his improvement, and it, he can really stand as a, um, you know, a, a case, case study of the defense in general, it seems like the staff and Coach Levitt is using Tyree Robinson to his best strengths. I mean, Tyree Robinson is never going to be the best safety, the best coverage safety in the world. That's just not his strength. His strength no. has always been coming downfield, playing run support when he needs to, and just being that long, lanky, athletic playmaker who can kind of freelance. Um, and, and that's also been his weakness, is when he's freelanced too much, he's been caught in situations where he gets burned over the top. Um, yeah. Now, what this staff has done, not just for him, but it seems like for a lot of other guys, is they've put them in situations where these players are comfortable. I mean, yeah. no Troy die moved from outside linebacker to inside linebacker, it's clear that they saw Troy Dye as a guy who was had a high enough football IQ and was big enough and strong enough and fast enough to make a real impact at that middle linebacker spot. And he's been fantastic. I mean, he had double-digit tackles uh, at least for the first two games, and I think he also had... uh, I don't think he had double-digit tackles against Wyoming. Um, I think that was more like the secondary and the defensive line. Um, But in terms of being a leader on the field, he's been great. They've successfully incorporated a lot of new freshmen on the defensive side of the ball. Um, I mean... If you had told me that the defense was going to improve this much from last year to this year, I would have been very skeptical. Yeah. Uh, I mean, the fact that... I would have probably laughed at you and told you you were being ridiculous. The the fact that right now, 
in S&P Plus were ranked 22nd in efficiency defensively. Which is just I'll, for competition. I'll, I'll take that. Yeah. Every single time. Yeah, and, and the points for Wyoming, all of those came off of turnovers. Yep. And short fields. Which goes back to another problem that you brought up already, just like the offensive turnovers is just we're creating a ton of turnovers on defense. But there's way too many right now on offense from muff punts to just fumbles by vets. Um, And then Herbert's one of Herbert's interceptions was bad. The one that he threw into triple coverage when there was only one deep receiver. But this last one was a tip ball. Um, It should have been closer. It was a little behind the receiver, but there's just too many fumbles and turnovers on the whole. Yeah, you know, and that's my main concern. I think some of those are definitely fluky. I mean, the fact that we have more turnovers on the season right now than all but 11 other teams in FBS um, that's that's certainly concerning um, but I have a feeling that those kind of tend to even out at, over the course of the season um, so it's something that I'm looking at it's not necessarily something that I'm completely panicking over yeah so let's talk about Arizona State. I think uh, I think unless you have anything else on Wyoming, I mean it's we won forty nine to thirteen. There's there's only so much to, to really go into depth about. No, I think that I think that leads in also to Arizona State. Like I know we're going to go over some of the just absolutely terrible ASU defensive numbers, but I think there's one strategy that Arizona State could use that could make this a close one, could could muddy it up a little bit. Go on. If I'm Arizona State, I'm just going to be blitzing the hell on Herbert. I'm just going to have all my guys just flying up every gap and when they recognize if it's a pass play and not a run play, just go straight for Herbert. Because there's been a few times, I think, where we've seen in the last two games where Herbert's gotten some pressure on him um, or he had like a near interception, and then we start seeing a couple more mistakes after that type of play. And basically, if you can make... Because, I mean, Herbert's only started nine games at this point. Yeah. And he's still like a true sophomore. He's still like 19 years old. And it would be if I'm Arizona State, I'm trying to get him as uncomfortable as possible. Because one of the things that anybody hasn't been able to do yet is regularly get pressure on him. And Arizona State historically has been the heaviest blitzer in the conference. Um, and with Taggart kind of being very stubborn on just keep running power plays even though the the math doesn't work out on it um, and Herbert's I don't want to say crack under pressure but 
a pretty big drop in efficiency when he's getting pressured. Uh, I would just keep attacking that pretty much every single play. Well, I, th- I don't think it's any secret that that's probably going to be Arizona State's game plan. I mean, ever yeah. since uh, Ty Graham was hired there as the head coach, which I think, what, four years ago now at yeah. this point? I'm just saying it could be that 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 strategy mixed with what our weaknesses have kind of been at this point could be something to watch out for. That, that it could be problematic. So you're saying we should panic? I'm saying we should panic. I'm saying that we should all hit the panic button, um, and you must follow the ATQ rules. All caps, no pants, straight whiskey. Roll damn tide. Roll tide. Uh, so here's, I'm going to play devil's advocate and I'm going to argue why Arizona state blitzing the hell out of us is great for us. Okay. I feel like I was playing devil's advocate. So, okay. Well, regardless, um, regardless, irregardless, it's regardless. Uh, so first of all, Arizona state is without their best edge rusher on the defensive line. Um, so Karan Crump, I think I'm saying that right, K-O-R-O-N. Uh, so he, right now he leads the entire conference in sacks with four. But he got injured in their game last week against Texas Tech, and he's out. So even though Arizona State currently ranks first in the Pac-12 in sacks, and it has a very good, um, basically one of the only things that they do well on defense is cause havoc. Uh, they're without one of their better players. So that, I think, plays in our favor if they do decide that they're going to do the normal Arizona State blitz the hell out of you every single play um, type, type strategy. Number two... What we've seen in the past, and granted this is a different staff, but it it's basically the same strategy. If we can get past that blitz, we have the playmakers to make really big explosive plays. Um, whether that be Herbert going deep on post routes to Schooler against Nebraska, uh, which was off a of blitz, or whether it's a jet sweep to Charles Nelson, who, even though he was out against Wyoming with an injury, um, he is still listed as a starter in the depth chart, so he can make things happen. Uh, You know, we're not lacking for skill position guys on offense, uh, and our offensive line at this point has only allowed three sacks through the first three games. So even if they've struggled at the straight power run game, one area where they've definitely excelled is the pass protection. So if Arizona State wants to send blitzers and expose a secondary that is full of mm, less talented Pac-12 players, then I'm totally fine with that. Yeah. I mean, Arizona State's not going to win by playing like normal defense. Or, like, playing by kind of, I don't know. They got to go big or they're going to go. Or, they, like, they have to go big. Because otherwise, that's really the only option. That's really the only way they can keep it close is if they are just capitalizing on getting negative plays. If 
Taggart is just being too stubborn with his play calling, and or or if they pull or if they pull a Boston Red Sox and steal our plays with an Apple Watch. Well, they do that anyways. They do that anyways. That's like that's one of the storylines that we hear every time someone plays Arizona State's every coach. They're stealing signals. Like that's not that's not right. And it's like, well, if you're just doing it in plain sight, like why not? That's why like Chip Kelly or and Helfer always had those like goofy, like bed sheets, just to cover up uh, the the people who are signaling plays. My only concern. And this is this is not my only concern, but my real concern is if Pac-12 After Dark strikes again. Yes, Pac-12 After Dark rules do apply in this case. I'm terrified. Yeah, but that's one of these scenarios though where I think Arizona State is so bad that I I don't think we've seen a Pac-12 After Dark performance where the two teams are so far apart from each other. Yeah, and just to put context here, the right now the projected probability of a win for Oregon versus Arizona State this weekend, right now the the win probability is us at sixty seven percent. So does basically, not seem high enough. Two thirds of the time we would win, and the projected margin is seven point six. Now that does take into account still preseason rankings, which. I think probably had Arizona State a little bit higher and us a little bit lower than we currently are. Um, but I, I would agree that doesn't necessarily seem high enough, but it is, you know, it, it's at Arizona State, so that could factor into it. Yeah. Hmm. I don't know. I don't, I don't really have... I doesn't uh, seem nearly high enough. I don't really have anything else to add on, on this game. I just... And and maybe that's maybe that's another thing. It could kind of be a trap game, even though it's the first Pac-12 game for a lot of these players. Um, it, it seems like with how much Arizona State has struggled, barely beating New Mexico State, and then losing to uh, Texas Tech, and who was their other team that they played? New Mexico State. No, they they barely beat New Mexico State. Whatever. Oh, you already said New Mexico State, and then they're, it was. I mean, they they're not a good football team, and so that's my only worry is maybe we go into Tempe and don't necessarily take them as seriously as we can. Here, because they are they are a defense that does cause havoc. So if San Diego we, State. Exactly. They lost so, to San Diego State twenty to three. Who San Diego State has been a Pac-12 killer? Yeah. Um, I mean, they they are a defense that causes havoc. So if we continue the trend of turning the ball over, then anything can happen. At that point, I, I think if we hold onto the ball, even if we cough up one turnover, I think we're in a pretty good spot. Yeah. Um, Arizona State is super pass heavy. They've had a lot of troubles running the ball against pretty much everybody they've played. So I think this is going to be a real test for the secondary. Especially because we only play five defensive backs. There are six safeties. Um, But they could be doing a lot of plays. And that's where I think we just have to basically 
trust that our defensive line is going to get to the quarterback fast so that the secondary isn't having to cover guys for like five or six seconds. Who's your pick for players of the week this week? Royce Freeman. Defensively? Royce Freeman. <laughs> um, Graham. Okay. I'm going to... I will stick with Actually, the person that you are really down on. Tyree. I think Tyree Robinson is going to be our defensive player of the week. I'm not. I'm not that down on him anymore. I'm lukewarm on him. Well, historically, I've been very down on him. I'll go with Tyree Robinson for defensive player of the week, and I think offensively, I think Dylan Mitchell will continue to shine. He was yeah. very good stepping into the hole last week when, especially when Charles Nelson went out. Um, he caught all of his attempted targets. He was six for six. He had a dirty shake move, uh, which made three Wyoming defenders fall down. Uh, I, I think considering how much Arizona State blitzes and how much he'll probably be in one-on-one coverage, I think he's primed to break out. Yeah. And I, I think with Arizona State, the reason why I picked Graham is that like Nebraska – um, and Southern Utah, every time Graham is out there, they're just going to go after him. They're just going to yeah. relentlessly attack him. And, you know, he got two picks last time, but, you know, if you're Arizona State, you know, if you're going to get dunked on anyways, you might as well just, if it's touchdown or pick, you're going to get a few touchdowns, that type of a thing. It's the Marshawn Lynch school of living. Sometimes you're going to get got. But sometimes you're going to get. <laughs> pretty much. Pretty much. What else should we talk about? Um, well, well, basketball. basketball yeah, that was next okay. on, our, on our outline that we talked about beforehand. So don't, we, don't, we don't plan these. We don't talk about anything beforehand. It's totally off the cuff. Well, see, the thing is that we pretty much talk about this all week. So this is really just a summary of what we talk about. We're giving you all the cliff notes. <laughs> the cliff notes. Um, oh, and Pagano played. Did we talk about that? No, we did not. Pagano got a few reps. He didn't play a ton. He said in an interview that he was his foot was about 70 to 80%. So good news is we could have a very well-rested defensive end by the time we hit November and our schedule really picks up. Yeah, he looked good. Um, you know, in person, he looked good. He was getting good push. He, it seemed like he was subbing out more often than other players. So I don't necessarily think he's like fully at football conditioning level yet. He's definitely not. Um, but the more that we can get depth on that line, especially with um, Austin Falio not traveling to the Wyoming game, you know, we'll see if that turns into something long term, which it looks like it won't because he's still listed as a starter on this week's depth chart. Um, but the more we can get depth, the, the better we're going to be. Yeah. Yeah. Um, all right. So. 
everyone knows that we're a basketball school and a softball school and a volleyball school. And track and field. Shout out volleyball, number eight in the country right now. Um, but basketball just released their schedule. So what excites you about this season? There's a lot of really good weekend games. There really are. Um, man, if you guys are lucky enough to still live in Eugene or Portland, the fact that you get can get season tickets for 155 bucks right now, I'm not trying to be a ticket salesperson for the Oregon Athletics Department, but that is a steal. Go buy season tickets. Go support the Ducks because this could be a fun season. I know we lost a lot, but there are a lot of good teams coming in. We have a ton of talented freshmen coming in. Um, Troy Brown Jr. from Las Vegas is like a four or five star guy coming in, depending on what recruiting site you look at. And this is a pretty fun schedule. I mean, there's the PK80 Invitational in Portland, which will be cool. Um, they play UConn. They might play Michigan State, depending on how results go out. A um, couple good Mountain West teams coming in. Uh, Boise State, we always hate them. Uh, Colorado State is coming in, who we'll see how they do this year. Um, but they had a good NIT run last year. Fresno State comes in. And then we're right into Pac-12 play, which has a lot of good weekend games. Um I mean, Arizona is on a weekend. UCLA is on a weekend. The Civil War is on a weekend. These are all really, really good games. Um, it should be a fun season. Yeah, and I mean, it's pretty much an entirely new team. And that's kind of what excites me the most pretty about much this. Everything has turned over. It's I I have loved watching Dana Altman work his magic when he has a bunch of new guys especially early in his career at Oregon when he was pretty much relying exclusively on JUCO transfers. Um, he just always figures out a way to have this team gel, where if he can do that again with the level of talent that we have coming in, not to mention the returners like Peyton Pritchard who are super talented, um, we should be good. I mean, who knows if we'll be Pac-12 championship good again. That would be, in my opinion, a little bit much to ask with how much we lost. But no nope. national championship or bust. You're right, Rose Bowl or bust. You know who's been? Yeah, and I mean, at this point, I'm not even sure what the roster is for Oregon basketball. I'm just kind of going to check in like a couple weeks beforehand and just see where we're at. Um. Well, let's see. Peyton Pritchard will pretty much start at yeah. point. He's a sophomore. Um, other than three people, there are only three seniors, um, one of which is Elijah Brown, who's the transfer from New Mexico. And that guy is good he is a scorer um roman sorkin it seems like he's been at oregon for like simultaneously one year and eight years from when we first saw his super grainy israeli highlight tape but he's a senior now apparently and 
then another transfer from Illinois State. So, I mean, this this is definitely a very young team. It's a lot of freshmen, a lot of redshirt freshmen. So, there's a lot of possibilities. You know, not all of them good, but I trust Dana Allman to to make it happen. Yeah. All right. Um, so we're going to get more into basketball. Uh, they tip off against Northwest Christian on October 30th. Um, so as we get closer, we're going to get more in-depth to that. But um, outside of Oregon playing Arizona State, the rest of the conference is starting to get into their uh, their conference schedule. Utah is at Arizona both teams are kind of unknowns given their um, given their schedule, but uh, Darren Carrington says that the quarterback at Utah is like a Marcus Mariota player. Except he's better because he can throw in tight windows. <laughs> yeah, I'll believe it when I see it. You know, I I like Darren Carrington. I appreciate everything he did at Oregon. This just feels like a jilted lover syndrome to me. It definitely is. But at the same time, with that being said, I fully expect Darren Carrington and Utah to go into Arizona and win by two-plus touchdowns. Yeah. I, honestly, I don't think it will be close. How do you feel about Washington at Colorado? I feel like... Colorado is not a good football team. I think that they're going to keep it close. They may, just because of the style that they play. I mean, so I I was able to see Colorado play in person once this year. And other than their running back, who we know is a very good player, I was not impressed pretty much at all with them. Um they have the only players that really stood out to me was their one lone returning cornerback and their running back. I didn't think Steven Montez was a really impressed. Their defensive line was nothing special. Uh, the level of talent that Washington will bring in to Boulder, um, I, I think it might be close at least through the first half. But I think Washington will probably end up winning by about 10. Well, funny that you see that because the line is 10. I didn't even know. Um, I'm moving to Vegas. UCLA at Stanford. What the hell is going down at the farm? I'm Dropping not. Dropping a game to San Diego State. This is the classic game where you... Do not bet on it, ever. Don't just don't bet on it. I mean, granted, I guess that UCLA will at least be playing in line with their body clock, but both of these teams did not look good last week. I mean, I, I don't really really know what to say about this game other than I hope the lights stay on for once. Yeah, well, it's not at Qualcomm. But, it was bad. Both these games were bad. I mean, and it, when I say that they were bad, they were very entertaining. I enjoyed them a lot. But if you were a UCLA or a Stanford fan, 
the one Stanford fan, <laughs> you did not have a good time last Saturday. No. No. Um, so Stanford is a six and a half point favorite. I think that is far too high. Okay, so uh, other other part of the Bay Area. How about Cal? What is going on there? I mean, I was a big fan of their coaching staff. Uh, it took a couple Oregon guys. Um, actually, it's I feel like it's mostly Oregon coaches. Cause they have Greatwood as uh, Will Cox. Goal Poshin. Yeah. Um, they have the offensive coordinator from Eastern Washington, I think. I'm just doing that off the top of my head. But no, I right on that. Their yeah. over-under for the season was three and a half. And right now they're at three. And they get to play Oregon State still. So that's an over. I'm waiting for the mirage to dissipate. I don't think it's going to happen. I mean, the biggest the, the biggest thing that's impressed me the most about Cal has been how their defensive slide. Yeah. Now, they're not going to be world beaters for sure on defense, but they've at least looked competent, which, I mean, they were kind of in the same situation as us going into this year where it's like, just please give us something of improvement on defense. And thus far, both us and them have looked much improved on the defensive side of the ball. Yeah. Uh, part of that, for sure, is just due to fluky nature of turnovers. Um, but they've looked very competent. Yeah, it'll be interesting once we get to conference play. Ole Miss just could be still be reeling from their offseason. Um, I'm not sure we know exactly how good North Carolina is. And at the same time, you know, Weaver State took them to the fourth quarter. So still some question marks there, but they, they are far surpassing even my most, most optimistic expectations. If I'm a fan of any other team, I'm just waiting for conference play and just standing in the corner ready to yell, expose them! <laughs> um, so they take on USC. USC is a 15-point favorite. I think that sounds about right. I don't think that USC will be hungover after they got forced to overtime uh, last week from a Texas squad that definitely outperformed with a freshman quarterback. Um I mean, USC was lucky to get out of that one, even forcing it to overtime. They had to kick a field goal with time expiring to get it to overtime. So um, I would be surprised if this is still a game in the third quarter. So Oregon State is on their bye. They needed a break. Oh, my God. Can they just, like, not play the rest of the season? They look like I thought Cal would look. They are awful. I severely overestimated Oregon State. I, I thought that Gary Anderson, based on how they looked at the end of that last year, where they actually had some real momentum going, I thought that they were going to turn the corner and really improve from his first year to Gary Anderson's second year. That has not been the case. Yeah, I, I thought they were a year ahead of schedule last year, and this was going to be their big year. Um, and now their starting quarterback is out for the season. 
um, with like a fractured spine. Um, they come back to play Washington at home. Oh. Yeah. And so oh. basically the only other conference team playing this weekend is, and we haven't talked about it, is Nevada is hosting Washington State. Or Nevada is going to Washington State. Um, what Nevada, time is that game being played? That's a great question. I'm sure it's late. 3 p.m. Oh, well. Then I think Washington State wins by 12. Okay, the spread is 26. And I yeah. feel good about taking the Cougars on that game. Uh, I just Nevada I, has lost to Northwestern, Toledo, and last week Idaho State. The players spent all week answering the question that was asked in some form of "Have you guys already given up on the season?" I'm revising my prediction. <laughs> Washington State wins big. Go Pirates. <laughs> Go Pirates. Yeah, it should be. I, I, you know, this week seems like one of those college football weeks, not just in the Pac-12, but just like in general around college football. It seems like one of those weeks where it doesn't really have a marquee matchup, and it seems like those weeks are always when some crazy shit happens. Yes, that is exactly so I, what I was thinking. I am very much looking forward to that because thus far this season, every week has been you know one marquee matchup or another. It's started with Alabama-Florida State. Last weekend we had Clemson-Louisville. And every year it seems like the one week or two weeks without that really standout matchup, you can always look forward to some weird stuff going down. So I'm excited. Yeah, and there's a few there's a few possibilities there. Uh, UNLV at, at Ohio State is not one of them. Um, but we have I, I was just writing about this. Virginia Tech is always good for a good old spoil for at old uh, hosting Old Dominion that happened a few years ago. Um, but Alabama is at Vanderbilt, eighteen and a half point favorites. Um, Boston College is at Clemson. TCU is at Oklahoma State. I think Oklahoma State and Oklahoma are basically competing against each other for a fourth playoff spot. Um, Rutgers is at Nebraska. I'm excited to watch that one. Nebraska is an 11-point favorite. Nebraska is an 11-point favorite over Rutgers. That is going to be the ugliest game. One that you haven't mentioned which I'm excited to, to see what happens, is NC State versus Florida State. It's an early kickoff, and Florida State is without their starting quarterback. However, Jimbo Fisher has had, because of the hurricane, he's had like two weeks to prep for this game. So I actually think Florida State will come out strong, but NC State's defense is sneaky good. So that could be an interesting upset possibility. Yeah, I really just have no interest in Florida State anymore. You don't want to talk about the Knowles? No, I don't want to talk about the Knowles. Michigan is at Purdue. 
Purdue's offense is fantastic, but I think Michigan's defense is probably so talented and so good that it's kind of kind of exposed all the weaknesses Purdue has. Mississippi State is at Georgia. Um, I think both of those teams are undefeated. Mississippi State you can are, pull that one off. You are um, correct, especially after they put a butt whooping on LSU and the yeah. coach Yeah, Penn State is at Iowa. 4.30 kickoff. I think Penn State wins big. I, I wouldn't be interested in watching that game. I don't know. Iowa Iowa earns their paycheck one week out of the year. This could right. be that week. They did hold future NC or NFL first round draft pick Josh Allen to barely any yards and two interceptions in their first game. Yeah. So you got to be careful with that Iowa Hawkeyes defense. Yeah. And on the and this is there are so many good games during the fourth shift. You have Washington at Colorado, Oregon at Arizona State, Hawaii at Wyoming. You know, I, I love my Rainbow Warriors. And then UCLA at Stanford. And that's going to start as Notre Dame-Michigan State wraps up. And Auburn, Missouri, and Penn State, Iowa. So I, I would not touch Auburn, Missouri with a 10-foot ball. Both of those teams are in free fall. Both of them are, but Missouri is like just at a, a next level. You're right. Honestly, now that I think about it, that may be one that you tune in just to hate watch. Yeah. And no, you, you know what you tune in to hate watch? Baylor. They have losses to Liberty, UTSA, uh, Duke, and now they host Oklahoma. Oh. Who would have ever thought that Oklahoma would be the bright side of a matchup with any team? What is the spread on that game? That's a great question. I was looking at that. I was actually looking at that one, and I remember thinking to myself, that's not nearly high enough. Honestly, if the spread is like 60 and a half, I'm taking the over. Well, you know what's funny is that I will actually be in the city of Sin. And thus, we'll be partaking in legalized sports betting on college football games. I just have to remember to do it on Friday because I'm not waking up on Saturday anytime reasonable. Oh my God, it's only 28 points. Yep, take Get me to the counter. You better call your bookie right now. I, that would be a violation of the Wire Act of the 60s. I forget the year now. Um, I'm just going to... That's all right. The, the government is definitely not tapping your phone, so it's fine. There's no FBI director right now, so... So burn all the VHSs. Yeah, just I'm ripping just every VHS tape I have right now. All right, that's all I got for this week. See you guys. <laughs> yeah, well, I mean, on that note, I think that's a good place to stop. Um, so, this was a good one. I'm happy with how this one turned out, you know... Duck football is exciting again. It's really nice. There's tons of optimism. You know, I feel like a lot of it's warranted. Um, Oh, I have one more thing. Go Ducks, go Buffs? No. No. Uh, I have one more thing that we missed. Okay. Uniforms. What's your prediction? Oh. 
I think what? Yellow pants. I think we go... Yellow, yellow helmet, white jersey, yellow pants. If we did that, I would love that. But I really think we're going to stick to one helmet this year. I hope not. I hope not, too. But that's what I get the feeling. If we go green, white, green again, I will be disappointed. I don't need something crazy. I just need a different color. I just need... The same look, just a different color. I will fight you, Willie Taggart. <laughs> I will come down to Eugene, figure out who is designing these, and tell them to step their game up. Was it... Uh, oh, yeah, I think I think going black, like, with our, with our jerseys, going all black but with yellow accents would be real nice. You go yellow, black, yellow. There's so many possibilities. When you go to a template, it's so much better. It's literally so much better. All right, that's all I got. All right, cool. All right, good note to end on. All right, so that's Ifo Bumae. I'm Rusty, and we'll talk to you guys next week.